0: Hi, I'm Jackie Goddard, and this is Power To Speak, the podcast where I talk to a mix of creatives, thought leaders, authors, in fact, anyone with an interesting and inspiring story to tell. How did they get here? What have they learned? And how can their journey help us mere mortals? In this episode, I talk to functional breathwork instructor and serial entrepreneur, Tracy Howes. Tracy teaches people how to breathe. And you thought you knew how to do that. But it turns out there is so much more to breathing properly. She explains to me its life enhancing benefits. Plus, we discuss her love of freediving and how it led to her launching business number four. Enjoy. Hello, and welcome to Power to Speak the podcast with my guest today, Tracy Howes. And Tracy, you are a freediver and a breathwork instructor which sounds quite intriguing really just just give us a a a brief
1: introduction to to what that is before we before we take that deep dive okay well free diving is holding your breath without the addition of any apparatus so when you dive underwater you hold your breath and you control your breathing muscles And a breathwork instructor is somebody who teaches specific breathwork techniques to improve the use of the breathing muscles. And my specific certification is through the Oxygen Advantage, which is a science-based system um, to improve health and fitness.
0: Wow. 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 And I I know because we know we know each other slightly from the uh, network that we both belong to. You are the media. And this is this is something that you've turned to recently as a business, although I could quite easily call you a, a water baby because I think you've, you know, water's always been part of your life. But how did you get to the point here now to be using what you've always used in terms of breath and water and swimming and free diving to to, to get to this point now and start this business doing exactly what uh, I would imagine is a passion for you. Very much so.
1: I think you would probably agree. If we're going to create a business, you've got to do something that you love. And for me, I've had several businesses over the last 11 years. Um, my, my career has been varied, but to answer the short answer to the question is really that, I started learning breathwork techniques about four years ago because I was having some health issues and despite medication and doctors appointments and all the rest of it, nothing seemed to be working and I was struggling with my sleep and I was having panic attacks which I've never had before so I immediately thought there was something wrong with my heart which there wasn't and I was recommended to consider meditation and something that just was so foreign to me. I'd never done it before. And I went on a 10 day retreat and it was a game changer in so many ways because they focused specifically on nasal breathing or also known as anapana, where you focus on the sensation of air moving in and out of your nose with your eyes closed, sitting on the floor or on a chair. And as simple as that sounds, when you do that for 10 days and you don't have any other distraction around you, you really tune in to the mind and body. And following that experience, um, I dramatically improved my sleep. I stopped, the panic attacks started to subside. And I can confidently say now, you know, four years later, I haven't experienced either. Of those Um, and it really triggered my interest in understanding more about breathing techniques and why why it works and I have been a paddy scuba diver for a number of years and as much as I love being in the water I felt very encumbered with equipment and I knew about free diving but at the time when I was living in London there was no facilities to learn or to train so when I relocated down to the south coast of England I was very fortunate to discover a free diving club which it was almost like it it was a gift really because that's really where I would say my current journey started and through free diving with the comp- the focus on understanding the body the mind using yoga techniques for example to support that and really being present, because when you hold your breath, especially underwater, water, as, as extreme as that sounds, it's like a mirror to your emotional state. And you can't think of anything else other than how you feel and where you are in that moment. And I can tell you right, that, that if I had not had that experience, I would feel like I was missing a limb. It's so part of me now, it's part of my DNA is really, um, but it also connects back to when I was a child because I used to—I started swimming as a baby, and loved spending time in the pool, holding my breath underwater, you know, pretending to be a mermaid, and loving all of that. So I think your memories from childhood suddenly are—you're triggered as you get older, and this—in my case—in a positive way. Yeah. Um, and I started on this—I call it a journey because it really is a journey of discovery and learning and trying lots of different breathing techniques. And over the years, I have I discovered something called The Oxygen Advantage, which was a book recommended in the freediving community. And I discovered they do a certification program, so I signed up for that. And I'm now an advanced instructor. I can teach breathing techniques, but what I love is the pa- is the parallel between the free diving techniques that I've learned with my training and my ongoing learning, because there's a lot of medical information now that's being shared in the public domain, which supports all of this experience and training that I've done. And I wanted to share this with the rest of the world, essentially, as whoever would listen. So that is my mission right now as a breathwork instructor, is to show people that you have the power to take back some control and improve your health, improve your fitness. You know, freediving is my favorite thing. It's my sport, and it's a lovely story to share with people. But essentially, at the end of the day, the clients that come to me, the transformations are remarkable. So just
0: picking up on that, the the fact that, obviously, you're working with people on their breath work. What I do in my work as um, a voice and presentation coach is very much about breathing and getting people to breathe deeply so that they actually can self-regulate their nervous system and you know diaphragmatic using their diaphragm to to get as much capacity into their lungs as they can so taking as much oxygen uh, oxygen as they can to help with anxiety what you're doing seems like a completely different level of of that so I do it really almost as an, as an internal-external, whereas it sounds as if with your, your um, instructions, with, with what you teach, it's very much about the, the inner body and the mind.
1: But yeah, there's so much alignment from what we both do. I think where the training I've had has been you can't have one without the other. So for free diving, we do a lot of um, re- diaphragmatic stretching, um, and we tend to breathe prior to going under the water through our mouth, very specific styles of breathing. We do something called segmented breathing, where you breathe into the stomach, you breathe into the chest, you breathe into the throat, and you do a lot of recovery breathing, obviously, when you come out. With the breathwork um teaching that I'm sharing with people we focus specifically on nasal breathing and diaphragmatic activation so mouth is closed as and it should be then this is medically proven that when you breathe through your mouth you're taking an unfiltered air and when you hyperventilate when you're stressed for example all this additional air puts so much pressure on the upper chest and the, the breathing muscles, that's what triggers inflammation, infection and things like exercise induced asthma for example, for, for individuals that are very active and by breathing through your nose you are purifying the air and it's got antibacterial properties, we have micro, a microbiome in our nose just like you have a microbiome in your gut, that's very specific for monitoring the quality of the air that we take in and you can literally improve your immunity by only breathing through your nose when you have to. Because our mouths really should only be used for speaking and eating, realistically. And so with individuals, when they do my training with me, a lot of the time this is new for them because if you think about when you're born, babies breathe very specifically. They, do, they breathe from the belly, breathe through the nose. As we get older, we are conditioned and we learn a lot of bad habits. And it's easier to breathe through the mouth, of course, because there's much bigger surface area. But the fact remains is that even though the nostrils are smaller, the quality of the air that we're taking in is better. And by learning, as you know, with diaphragmatic uh, activation and getting people to understand how the diaphragm actually moves and impacts the body body as a whole – You can breathe through your nose and breathe very deeply. And that is essentially what we want people to learn is to breathe light, slow, and deep through the nose using the diaphragm with a gentle pause after the exhale. That is functional breathing. And that's what really attracted me to the certification because everything is practical. We can learn this and the impact is remarkable i mean people improve their sleep very quickly within two two to th- three weeks i have people who've been on the course who haven't had more than four hours sleep a night for two years suddenly they're getting seven hours sleep that is life-changing for people yeah um and obviously what you were talking about you know pr- pr- presentation skills I mean, the joy of being able to feel confident in yourself and know that you're in control of your body just by knowing how to breathe properly before you're in front of a room. Yeah, that is so powerful, and I love that. Yeah, yeah.
0: I mean, yes. I mean, the the breath side for me is is fundamental. You know, there's no point coming uh, to work with me unless you're prepared to really practice, uh, because they're muscles at the end of the day. It's all it's all about muscles. You know, and actually, the more you the more you use them, and the more you learn to use them, the the more confident, as you say, you can be. But I was really interested. I, I fell down a rabbit hole of your your Instagram, which I have put on my board. You probably I'm not sure if you can see that. Let me see if you can see that. Oh, I don't know if you can. No. Let me put the link up. I will put the, I will put the link up. Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, your Instagram is brilliant. I love I love your Instagram. Uh, there you go and because it's it there's so much in there about what you do but what i came across that really i just needed to ask you what it was what it was and i think maybe you've explained a little bit is the mouth taping how does how does that work let me show you i've got a picture here somewhere um there we go this was this was on your instagram so tell us a little bit about mouth taping
1: so mouth taping has it's very, in terms of people knowing what it is, it's, it's not known publicly. Um, it was actually fit, originally developed by dentists to help with healing after surgery to get people to breathe through their nose and not through their mouth. And the tape that I use for my clients is called myotape, which can be ordered online. And basically how this works, on the premise of breathing through the nose, if you think In this way ideally you want to breathe through your nose day and night but when you're sleeping you have no control necessarily of how over how you're breathing so with clients that i work with we get them to breathe through their nose during the day very mindfully you know and in the evening they tape their mouth so that the lips are gently pushed closed while you sleep which encourages nasal breathing and this is this is the game changer for so many people. If you suffer from insomnia, sleep apnea, um, or you want a CPAP machine where you know just, just so uncomfortable and really noisy. Um, any kind of and especially women going through the menopause, sleep disorders imp- increase dramatically um, in that period. Um, or stress and anxiety when the heart rate and the cortisol levels are too high in the body, you're not going to get a restful sleep. And the mouth will generally, if you're on a very soft pillow and you are sleeping on your back, what ends up happening is the jaw relaxes, the trachea muscles relax, the tongue slides down and actually narrows your airways. And that causes snoring. So snoring is essentially turbulence in your upper airways. So in your throat and in your nasal cavity. And mouth taping can literally help you to stop snoring stop completely for some people i have to wear it all the time other people and i would put my hand up and say i'm one of them i don't snore myself but i do realize that occasionally i was my mouth will fall open at night and i'll wake up and you know you've woken up with a dry mouth which is an indicator that your mouth was open while you were sleeping so by taping the mouth, what it does is it's, it's hyperallergenic tape that sits very comfortably around the outside of the lips, so it doesn't seal your mouth. So people think, oh my God, I might get suffocated. No. <laughs> All it does is it pushes it together so that you breathe through your nose. And if you'd like me to go into more detail, I can. Oh, please do. Um, so we have a, a molecule um, in our nasal cavity called nitric oxide. And nitric oxide is, it's very specific because it's only produced in the nasal cavity, specifically. um, There's other types of nitric oxide in the blood, but this is different. It doesn't, it's not produced in the mouth. And it's a vasodilator. So by nasal breathing, you increase the production of nitric oxide in the nasal cavity. That means that your blood vessels are going to widen, which means you're going to get more oxygen into the lungs. And once the oxygen reaches the lungs, we have little saps called alveoli saps. And this is why I talk about light, slow, deep breathing. People think, how can you breathe light and deep at the same time? If you can manage a full breath through your nose and your diaphragm expands laterally, so shoulders are relaxed, rib cage expands, that is an indicator your diaphragm is activated and you're breathing deeply. At that point, the nitric oxide is helping shift the oxygen and moving it into the bloodstream. So you've got essentially um, this incredible facility in the body to help you breathe better and oxygenate your tissues better. And a little bit of sort of blood science, you know, we do, um, and I'm sure we're gonna talk about this later, but breath hold is a very good way, um, as well as humming on the exhale, to increase the production of nitric oxide in the body. Because what happens is, the nitric oxide is like a facilitator as well. And it will trigger, the carbon dioxide increase in the blood will trigger hemoglobin proteins to release oxygen. So you can manually, as well as you know normally, increase your oxygenation into the blood and the tissues Um, just by understanding how to manipulate the production of nitric oxide in the body
0: wow I was I was doing all of that as you were talking I was was automatically sort of breathing um yeah I mean and and that whole kind of Oxygen into your blood is so important, isn't it? It's just, you know, to, to, to get all that oxygen around your brain. You know, it, it, our bodies are incredible at, uh, at sort of manoeuvring it all around our bodies. But, you know, however, whatever we can do to help that has got to be has got to be good. It's got to be good. Brilliant. Um, so in that case, then, in terms of not of taking your mouth when you sleep, I assume then that gives you an extra sort of seven six seven hours of you doing that when normally you're kind of what's the what was the nitric
1: nitric oxide
0: nitric oxide so so if you're if you're not breathing through your mouth during the night when you're sleeping then obviously that's
1: that's more time of you um, producing more of that and i literally every single group that i do you know people are they come to me because they are not getting enough sleep they they don't want to snore or they've never snored before and suddenly they're going through the menopause and they're snoring, yeah. you know, or men, you know, and men sometimes can be sadly that the ones who suffer the, as well, the most over the age of 45, because there is a change in vascular pressure in the body and vascular pressure is another part of the, you know, the breathing muscles not working correctly. Um, and I'll, I'm going to add this to the conversation, um, but if you want to edit this out, you can. Um, a good indicator for men that their vascular pressure is not working properly is that they should wake up in the morning with an erection. If they're not, that's an indicator that there is a problem. And normally what will, that will also be an indicator that they have some kind of sleep disorder or there's, and or there's snoring problems and so you know this information is not it's out there but it's not most of the time it's in medical journals people don't know about it and i think there is definitely a need to understand more about how the body works because when you have that understanding then you're more likely to apply preventative measures yeah um so you know it's it's a bit like being an athlete you're not going to push yourself during the day, do all the right exercises, feed your body correctly, and then, you know, get two or three hours sleep a night and sleep with your mouth open. Yeah. That would just destroy all the good work you did during the day. So, you know, for us, if you're going to breathe through your nose during the day, take steps to ensure you breathe through your nose during the night. And sleep trackers, you know, we have so much wearable tech these days. You can literally track the quality of your sleep. And with individuals that I've worked with who have Garmin watches, Fitbits, you know, there's a lot, I can go into a lot more detail on wearable tech if you'd like me to. Um, but you can literally track your light, deep, and REM sleep. Yeah, and, I do. And if I you're do. not getting enough of the deep and REM, it's because you're not getting enough um, oxygen into the body. Yeah. And that's usually because you're breathing through your mouth.
0: Yeah, I, I think I definitely breathe through my mouth for quite a lot of the night, I think. I do wake up with a very dry mouth, so yeah, I assume that is. But I think I get, my nose gets blocked, so I don't know if there's anything within nasal breathing that I can
1: actually clear there is. the I, nasal. Um, it's so good you asked that question. In fact, I will send you a link to a nose unblocking exercise, which yes. is remarkable, because it, it sounds counterintuitive. But to unblock your nose, you need to hold your breath. Because the, the breath hold is going to increase the nitric oxide. It's a vasodilator and it, it will open up the nose. You know, obviously, if you have a severe cold or infection, you're going to need medication and that is not going to be, you know, the obvious answer. But if you just have general congestion and you're a normal, healthy individual, Um, nose unblocking can be done by holding the nose and nodding the head forward and backwards for a specific amount of time and you repeat this exercise and that eventually will open up the nasal passages. Um, Where I see people struggle is if they have, for example, deviated septum, or they have had some kind of nasal surgery or empty nose syndrome where they really just struggle to have any sense of know functionality in the nose um so yes there's certainly an area where you know you would involve a medical practitioner but for the vast majority of us knowing that you can do this simple exercise which i'm you know i'll share the link with you can make a huge difference um and in the same regard you know combining that with the taping you can literally change your breathing because it's like anything, it's a, you practice, you get the results.
0: Yeah. No, that I will definitely try that, and my my daughter has yeah terrible issues with that. So that that would be very very helpful, and I will certainly put the, that link into um, into any of the, the copy that I that I put out with this with this podcast because that that's incredibly helpful. I and mean, you were talking about counterintuitive, Ooh. and. I'd, that that was something for me when I saw you stand on the stage at the You Are the Media uh, in at uh, the Lighthouse in Poole at the end of Ju- uh, beginning of July, and you you did a breathing exercise with the audience, which was was incredible. There was there was something in there that for me was counterintuitive, and it was the holding your breath after an exhale. Yeah, so you're so used to kind of breathing in, holding, and then breathing out. But the, the exercise that we did with you was to actually exhale and then hold the breath before you take an in breath. Why, 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 why does it feel counterintuitive to do that?
1: Mainly because what you just said, we all assume that when you say hold your breath, you inhale and you hold. And for free diving, I absolutely have to do that, otherwise I'd be in trouble. <laughs> um but in order to um to get an accurate measure and i'll I'll start with this before i talk about the exercise when we do the course we have scoring mechanisms for breathlessness and it doesn't matter how healthy you are whether you're a professional athlete or not these these scoring systems are a very good way to track because if you hold on the inhale Essentially, what's driving you to hold your breath is your own willpower. And some people can hold for longer than others. So that's not really accurate. If you do a passive exhale, there is no pressure within your breathing um, muscles. And we get a much more accurate uh, measure of lung volume and breathlessness on the exhale because the body is relaxed. And... To go back to the exercise, that particular one where you, you, you breathe in gently, you exhale passively, and then you hold for five seconds and then breathe normally for 10 seconds. That is a, a specific breathing pattern to shift the body from sympathetic to parasympathetic. So the nervous system has these two systems. So it's, you know, you, you've got fight and flight and you've got rest and digest. So if you are in a state of stress, you want to be able to bring yourself out of that into parasympathetic. Using a breathing pattern like that can do that for you. And by exhaling, you get it, it's a much more relaxed and more comfortable mode to practice the breath hold. Because you're not putting any additional pressure and stress onto your, onto your cardiovascular system. Yeah,
0: yeah. As I say, it's, it's, it did feel counterintuitive to sort of breathe out to, to let all of your breath go and then try to hold it without without taking it taking it back in again. So it's going back to your your childhood in South Africa. I mean, because you've got the, you've got a gorgeous accent, and apparently you you speak Zulu. Yes. or you or you did from from the age of 12 or something so when when you were back in south africa and i know you live by the sea there as you do now so when you were in the water quite naturally as a child were you conscious of any of this kind of breathing were you conscious of what you were actually doing when you were when you were um, in the water
1: at that stage i just knew that i liked holding my breath there's no other explanation. I think because I was so young, I wouldn't have known really what that meant. But I liked being underwater, you know, and I would, if we went snorkeling, I'd be diving down and holding my breath as long as I could. So I think I probably from a very young age developed a comfort around that. And it always felt very peaceful to me, you know, and there was a lot to say for, you know, again, your parasympathetic nervous system kicking in. But as a child, you're just doing it for fun. Um, and now I understand the science behind it. I understand how to manipulate the body to, to make sure I can do that longer. Mm. Uh, I definitely think being exposed to, to water at a very young age. Um, my dad used to surf, take me out on a surfboard. Um, my grandfather taught me to swim. You know, I've got pictures of me as a baby sort of, 18 months old on a massive inflatable in a pool so it's what i noticed though is you you may find some people have had a bad experience as a child and they don't want to go near water after that or they've always been told that water isn't safe so they've got this mental conditioning around that that it's not a good place to be whereas i was always told you know it was always safety first of course but there was definitely a comfort around it. Um, but interestingly, uh, you know, as I, when I became an adult, you know, and we, we had lots of large marine life in South Africa, um, particularly sharks, because I grew up around in Durban. You know, I was in the ocean all the time. Never had a, you know, never, there was never an issue. Um, but when I started traveling and I just thought, you know, I didn't like swimming in deep water deep open water I just you know I think years of of terrible tv and watching (laughs) images of you know um, movies where you just think oh this is not safe which is one of the main reasons I decided to get my paddy scuba because I wanted to go down underneath and then if I could see everything I'd be happy but then I felt I really felt uncomfortable with all the equipment that heaviness of being in the water and just feeling really encumbered whereas with freediving it's almost like I have a healthy respect for the water, but there's that overarching fear of deep water is not there like it used to be. And again, I just think that's practice and comfort.
0: We're not ending here, just taking a quick break to remind you that you are listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Tracy Howes. And we will dive a little deeper with Tracy after we hear from our friend and fellow podcaster, master of verbal communication, Andrew Thorpe. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. I just I, I wonder whether there is something in uh, in the womb being full of water. <laughs> is that Possibly. you know you know us us being in water from, from uh, yeah. conception kind of thing? Is is whether that's something comfortable? Because I, I I love water. I do feel comfortable in water, but I certainly haven't uh, freedived. And and the the idea of of diving with all that equipment is is quite scary to me too, actually, because mm-hmm. it's so heavy. It's all you know. There's that kind of fear of not being able to reach reach the surface again if you actually go under with all that stuff on your on your back I, you know there's
1: a with free diving, I think what's really important is that we, we have very strict safety protocols so you know you don't just jump in hold your breath and off you go you have to go through you know rigorous training and a lot of people will do a free diving course because they're going on holiday and they just want to, you know, swim around, you know, a few meters down through the by the coral reef, and that's absolutely fine. You know, if you can spend some time down there, but not interfere because the the bubbles on the scuba equipment interfere with um, the marine life. So you end up having more intimate connections and, and you know experiences with with the sea life because they feel like you're one part of the yes you know, you're part of the world yeah. yeah. Um, but I would say what's driven me beyond just you know recreational, because I compete as well, although we haven't been able to in the UK since 2019 with COVID, um, you are essentially competing with yourself because it's all about how you manage your breathing and your mindset. And one thing I can say is if you've had a bad day and you're stressed and your mind is all over the place, it's pretty impossible to hold your breath because then you're just adding more stress to the body. So I do think the sport attracts very specific kinds of people. You know, there's, there's very much the spearfishing community, but then you've also got competitive freedivers who, you know, are sponsored and they live to train and that's what they do all the time to challenge depth and distance um, records. And then you've got others who, are, who love the sport like me, like to compete because it's a test for ourselves Hmm. but the bottom line is i want to learn to be as good as i can be so i can spend more time underwater and have those lovely experiences you know um and yeah it's a great story to share with people you know because it is someone once referred to this as the most relaxed extreme sport (laughs) <laughs> yeah. yes
0: but it is totally extreme totally extreme so what so what is the the competition in free diving is it the depth is it the amount of time you spend under there what
1: what is the what is the the competition what are you what are so you competing for there's two different start types of competition there's depth and there's distance so depth is done in the ocean and distance is done in a pool um and you have a number of disciplines so some people like to specialize other people like to do the more you know the more varied you can be the more points you get in a competition and you know the current world record for women women's depth diving is 122 meters wow and for men it's 131 and that's, that's awesome. diving, yeah it's amazing this is diving with a monofin, which is a single blade with your feet um, strapped into it. So that's a very specific depth for that discipline. You also have another one called variable weight, which is where you are attached to a mechanized pulley, which pulls you down to, you can go down to even more than 150 meters. And that's all about breath control because you have to get to the bottom, stay conscious pull a trigger and then go back up and still remain conscious and do your safety protocol for it to be a valid dive. So it is pushing the limits of human um, ability. In the swimming pool, you don't have to worry about equalization because that's the issue with depth. If you can't equalize your ears and change your breathing depending on your depth, you know, you can do some serious physical damage to yourself. So um, all of those competitions have very high safety protocols um, and the best free divers, you know, the elite free divers, you know, who regularly dive beyond 80 meters are, you know, they, you can see they be, this, this is a, an adaptive sport. You have to have done this for years yeah. for the body to adapt. You can't just suddenly do a hundred meters. It doesn't work that way. Um, in the pool, you don't have to equalize, but you have to be able to get comfortable with the discomfort of high CO2 in your blood. And that's why diaphragmatic activation and breathing exercises is very important for what I do. But it's also tied into just normal, everyday, better breathing. Yeah. So um, there's a huge – I mean, there's, I think there's over eight, different, eight to ten different disciplines across the depth and distance comp- competitive world. Um, and I personally very much like something called no fins, where I don't use any equipment except my arms and legs to pull me through the water. Gosh, uh, that's difficult. <laughs> and it's, it's sort of the purest form of free diving because you have to use your own, just you. Yeah. You don't have fins. You don't have anything. You, you are controlling your breath. And I find it extremely meditative. It's, it it's a, brings, it's just brings me a lot of joy. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so what is your record? for staying under my distance record is 84 meters and that's Um, swimming underwater that's just swimming underwater with no fins pulling myself it's like a breaststroke but horizontally underwater um and that would probably be a minute and a half dive um my goal is to you know we all have goals um Work my way towards one hundred, which is four lengths of a twenty-five meter pool, and you know that it's a competition with yourself. Yeah. It's getting more and more comfortable. Um, I'm hoping to do more depth training. I'm started this year in the UK diving in a quarry because <laughs> we don't have clear blue ocean like they do in the Mediterranean. Um, but generally speaking, the diving, the, my personal favourite places to dive is Greece and Egypt. Yeah, yeah, I did.
0: Uh, I, <clears throat> I went to the, I did snorkeling in the Barrier Reef, <laughs> which was amazing. But yeah, I haven't. I haven't done that diving. It's the. It's the. Um, I've always worried about getting the bends when you when you come back up. Is that just it, what is that the equalisation thing that if you come back up too fast?
1: Yes, that I mean you. You're more likely to get it with scuba. Yeah, because you're breathing in, the gas. And you have to do your safety stop. I think it's 10 meters below Mm or 15, depending on how deep you go. Um, So the body can regulate before you go to the surface. With free diving, we're not doing that. We can literally, the divers can dive down to, you know, the, the elite divers are diving to 100 plus meters and then coming straight back up. And that might be a four and a half minute dive. But because they have practiced their equalization, there's a lot of scientific um, research and also you know the body reacts very differently at different depths and by understanding that and uh, impl- applying specific breathing techniques they are able to do that safely without getting the bends
0: yeah and it did do they use a rope for the free diving does that help yes
1: um, regulate coming <laughs> back up yeah absolutely for depth diving it's, it's a safety protocol so you are attached to the rope with a lanyard so Worst case scenario, if you had to black out underwater. Um, also, they have something called a dive eye, which is a, a video camera that's lit and it it, it moves down the rope with you. So they're watching you on screen. They also have sonar. The safety pro uh, divers will come down and meet you. So you're not on your own the whole time. They will come down and, and swim back up with you from about, sometimes they'll go down to 30 meters. but essentially there's a problem they can pull the diver up on the rope yeah but most of the time blackouts tend to happen near the surface and often are not you don't know you're going to blackout you know it, it's based on being really hypoxic you don't have enough oxygen so therefore your body shuts down it's like fainting yeah and if it does happen underwater your safeties will pull you up or if it happens on the surface you know, you naturally fall into the water, but the safeties are right next to you, literally shoulder to shoulder. So no, you know, they will hold you out of the water and they will encourage the breathing to take, to continue. So you, they get you back into a, you know, a state where you are awake and alert.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and it is the nature. There's always, you know, safety in all sports, But I would say with free diving, the safety protocols are probably higher than most because of the nature of what we do.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've never dived without without safety. I always have someone with me, and that's really important. Never dive alone, ever. Because that's, you know, what's going to happen if you black out and there's no one there? Yeah. And sadly, we have lost people because of that. Yeah.
0: No, it's, it's, uh, it is an amazing sport, and I do wonder why it's it, – it, I mean, obviously there is diving in the Olympics, but not this kind of diving, is there? No. No. Free diving
1: is considered such a niche sport, but we have our own world championships every year, um, actually happening in Cyprus in September. And oh, – You'll know, you be going to that? I'm not part of that. Um, I think they choose they've chosen divers from, I think, 2019 results – specifically for the uk a lot of the uk divers couldn't get out and travel so you know but I'm, I'm i'm still i'm still new to the sport i mean i've only been diving since 2018 so i think it'll take me a while before yeah. my, my results are considered for for that oh, but you, I'm, I'm happy to take part in the uk championships and that that's a great measuring stick for me yeah.
0: So d- tell me how you ended up in the UK then, because in terms of obviously, you know, the, the water baby that you are uh, and diving and all of those things. That, I mean, obviously, South Africa is beautiful. And I would imagine that diving there is incredible. So how how did you end up in, in the UK? I mean, just in terms of uh, the, the entrepreneurial side of you. I mean, I know that you've been on quite a journey through your your career to get to this point. How did it how did it all start for you? And what was what was that kind of journey like?
1: Well, I left South Africa, you know, in my 20s. And um, back in those days, <laughs> so long ago, right, um, the the UK had an arrangement with the um, South African governments where we could travel on something called a working holiday visa. And essentially, you could come to the UK for two years and work part-time and travel through the Schengen states, for example. So it was a kind of rite of passage and that's why at that time, lots of South Africans, Australians, New Zealanders, we all came to the UK to have that experience and then go back to our home countries. Um, and I just fell in love with the UK. I thought it was, it, it opened my eyes to the rest of the world. Because when you live at the bottom of Africa, you know, you are so far away from everybody else. Yeah. Um, and I love traveling and I love meeting new people. So I decided to come back to the UK to study. And eventually, was um, I found, I was sponsored by a company to stay in the country, which allowed me to you know just continue living here, and loved it so much. And eventually, I was awarded my British citizenship. Mm-hmm. So um, it was, I, which I still to this day feel like it was a gift because the people I've met, the experiences I've had, um, just amazing. And the the opportunities that I've had here um, have have opened a lot of doors. So, as much as I would, you know, I go back to South Africa, visit, love the country. It is obviously my home country. Um, the UK is my home. You obviously have a love of food and
0: restaurants and just that kind of social side, the events side. So. It's, uh, Tell us a little bit about that. Was that something that you brought with you from, from South Africa? Or is that something you discovered
1: over here? Or? Can you repeat the question? Sorry. The, the foodie side of you. Oh. <laughs> so that was my previous business. Um, I've always loved food and hospitality. But I worked in the first couple of years and living in the UK. Um, I worked in all sorts of hospitality environments from private members clubs to catering to you know events I just loved it and when I was able to um, start my first business which was back in 2010 I'd gained so much knowledge from working in the industry and I'd also worked in a luxury networking industry which was an eye-opener because I got to meet incredible luxury brand uh, marketeers and also discovered networking for the first time. So I remember sitting down on my lounge floor with lots of pieces of paper around me going, here's all the things I love, some marketing, events, food, um, travel, you know, what, what am I going to do for my first business? And I ended up creating a restaurant marketing consultancy, which I had for... nearly 11 years and it was, it kind of ticked all the boxes for me because I had worked with some incredible entrepreneurs who became my mentors in the first few years that I lived in the UK and they gave me the confidence to pursue my dream of having my own business but also the knowledge and the skills and I thought right I'm going to take the marketing that I've learned, I'm going to work in an industry that I love And I was looking for an opportunity where I would fit, you know, what can I give the market that no one else is giving? And the first thing that came to my mind was, well, there's lots of PR agencies doing amazing work, but I'm not really a PR person. I prefer the marketing and the strategy. So I started with marketing specifically for restaurants, being an independent marketing manager for restaurants. couldn't afford to hire someone full-time so they would come to me and I would create bespoke services for them so newsletters um, copy for print Um, I'd do I'd organize events for them and then social media started to come into its own really in 2010 2011 and I thought this is amazing because for me it was networking online. And I was one of those first million people in the UK to sign up to LinkedIn. It's like a badge for that. I was like, this is so awesome. I love it. It was very American at the time. You know, it wasn't, it hadn't kind of molded to the UK market yet, but I knew that was going to change things in a massive way. I mean, look how much we use LinkedIn now. So I thought, okay, I'm doing marketing and events already how about I learned this social media for business and I offer that as a service? And that's exactly what I did. I, I literally hunted on Google for social media training. And believe me, back in 2010, that was very hard to find. I can imagine. And eventually I found someone um, who was doing like a short course on how to use, you know, Twitter and Facebook. And I was like, this is perfect. And I lapped it up. And I made it my mission from 2010 onwards to get really good at social media. And the more I learned, the more I could teach my clients or manage their profiles for them. So that was my business number one. (laughs) Then one of my friends who also worked in hospitality said to me, you know, Tracy, you used to work for this luxury network, you know, but there's nothing like that in hospitality and you know we were always phoning each other going how do you use google whatever there's certain things in google or have you heard about this newsletter platform it was this word of mouth like how how do we do this so we decided we were going to start organizing coffee mornings this was in 2014 with all the restaurant people that we knew and within two years we had so this is 2012 and within two years we built up a following of people and we launched the London Restaurant Network, which was a network for restaurant professionals to get together once a month, very much like you are the media, that imagine everyone in the room is in hospitality with speakers, um, you know, people from the tech world, celebrity chefs. We had everybody would come and do a talk, You know, Deliveroo when it started, wow. <laughs> that's how long ago it was. Um, we had amazing people like Marcus Waring come and do a talk, you know, master chef professionals. And it worked because everybody was learning. And, the, the you know, the, the individuals with the, the profile helped us grow our profile. So we had that business for four years along with my consultancy, and I loved it. It was just a joy. And yeah. it's a very long answer to your question. No, no, no,
0: that's perfect. Um, I mean, because as you say, it's it, – it, networking has has become such a maybe maybe it's just because I'm relatively new to networking. I started my business not even three years ago um and that was my first thing was like well, I need to go to some networking things and actually to find networking groups that I felt I fitted into took me a good couple of years to you know to find um a network of people that i I felt I could collaborate with and that I was on the same wavelength as because so many networking groups are kind of you know p- people just trying to find business from other people that they're you know that they're, they're yeah. sitting with uh, or giving out business cards so you know to to find networks like you are the media and I know you've been quite a um, quite a big part of that in terms of connecting people and, mm-hmm. and socializing within those networking groups which I think is really important for for networking is is that social side rather than just the business side so you know I think that's that's a fantastic business and now we've all gone on to zoom the networking thing and as we know from you are the media that there is this kind of online offline version now this hybrid version that is in person and also on zoom at the same time so can you see yourself I mean obviously you've gotten Into you, your business has changed completely in the last year. Has has the networking helped you though? Is is something? Is networking something
1: you still use? It is absolutely the main frame of my business. As you know, as I say, my my first foray into networking was in two thousand and four, when I worked with um, the Luxury Marketing Council, which was essentially a network for luxury brand managers, and. So, yes, um, and from that point onwards, I have always used networking. And when we couldn't find a network, we created our own. Yeah. Um, so, you know, and I say for people listening to this, you don't have to suddenly build a business and have this, you know, big network. You could just get four people who do what you do and love what you love and meet them once a month, every month with a strategy, uh, with an agenda. Yeah. There's a network. And I've done this on numerous occasions. Um, What I will say, what was very interesting with with the COVID pandemic, I, after having left London, moved, you know, I was in a different market. I did a huge rebrand during the 2020 of my marketing and social media business. And I decided to really niche it down just to social media training because that's something I love to do. And I used to be a lecturer in the subject of social media marketing for um, Le Cordon Bleu, the chef's school in London. So that love of teaching and the tech behind it and the networking all came together in that. But what the pandemic also showed us is what the market wants. And I think I mentioned this on the You Are The Media event when I was talking to everybody on stage, is that people looked at my website and went, Okay, she does social media and I used free diving as the analogy for yeah. deep diving into it. And I I guess I got clients, thankfully. But there was this other thing going on where people were like, they're just curious, like what how do you hold your breath? And what's breathing, breath work? And you dive. Tell us about that. We know you do social media. And I have to say, maybe it's the experience I've had setting up businesses, you know and also the time, the headspace during the the COVID pandemic to think about what I wanted to do, I was able to transition very quickly from the social media training into the breath work because I could see what the market wanted, but I also felt very passionately about the breath work as much as I had about my social media training from 2010, but it was time for a change and half the, the battle is letting go of something that you've built and you love and you, you know, and I had to have a conversation with myself, yeah. <laughs> um, including with my business coach who said to me, his words were Tracy, just do both and see what people want. So I did. Yeah. And guess what they wanted. <laughs> they wanted to breathe. They wanted to learn how to breathe properly. Uh, what a gift. What an absolute gift. I I feel a huge amount of gratitude because in the last year, I've launched two – well, I'm in the process of launching business, business number four, but I've had to deal with – wasn't a failure. I see the social media rebrand as an enabler because if I hadn't done that, I wouldn't be where I am now. Absolutely. So, and, then the cre- you know, you talk about creativity. You, you pour yourself into these things, don't you? Yeah. And you, you think outside the box and you learn new technology and you see – And then you put it out there like like a new baby and go, here you go. And people go, we don't want that thing. We want the other thing. (laughs) So I think it's been a huge learning curve.
0: Yeah.
1: I know, honestly, I'm where I'm supposed to be. I hate to say something that sounds so cliched, but it really feels like I found my purpose yeah absolutely
0: and and it does it takes that it takes that you know weird up down roundabout journey to yeah. kind of come back to where we where we started and I you know I, I've got this thing now that that what we were doing age nine or ten and you know you swimming and, and being around water all the time it's kind of there inside you and it doesn't matter what way you go or how your life pans out it's you will always kind of come back to what it is that you love and it will find you again and i do feel that's kind of what's happened with you and the fact that you were using the free diving analogy within the within the website sparked that interest in other people so if you exactly as you say if you've not done that then you then you wouldn't have discovered that this is what people oh. actually want
1: I, I totally agree and i also think on in terms of mindset you have to be open to the change I think for me personally, I had so much change from 2018 to 2020 that my resilience levels had had much higher than usual. And actually, when things didn't quite go the way I'd planned, I was like, well, we've been through a pandemic. There were struggles in 2019. This is a walk in the park compared to that. (laughs) Do you know? And I was open to the change, so that's why I just went. I went for it. I thought I'm not. I'm going to be. A. I'm going to be brave, and I'm going to trust myself and my gut instinct. And I have to come back to your good question about networking, because I'd spent so much time on Zoom in these networks over the last year. I was able to get immediate feedback from people, so I wasn't going into my my business number four blind, and. I say this to everybody, use your network. If you don't have one, create your own. You know, there's no excuse. Yeah. And right now, I can honestly pound on my heart, networking brings in the vast majority of my clients because they see me, followed closely by social media because, yes, again, they see me. So, you know, I don't have a website yet and I'm launching a new brand name. That hasn't stopped me from having a business and it yeah. hasn't stopped people working with me. So, yeah, you're you're a serial entrepreneur. I mean, it's just. <laughs> have you
0: ever? I mean, we are coming to the end now. I went, uh, but I, I can't believe. You know, we haven't even touched on the fashion and the hair modelling. Oh, there's so much stuff. Because <laughs> we do have a shared uh, a shared um, love of fashion and work. We both worked mm. in. Fashion. Um, but yes, I was sort of talking to uh, to Mark again about networking and talking about how you how you need to create the the community before you need it. And that right. comes to your point about the network. You know, if you're not there in those networks, if you haven't built that following, that community, then when you do launch something new, when you do experiment and try something new, you've got that audience there already that are, are, are willing to support you and go with you and give you the correct feedback and, you know, and help you along the way. So. And even
1: give you feedback you may not want, let's be fair, because yeah. not everyone's going to like what you do or... Yeah. Or get what you do. That's usually the case. Because yeah. everyone, the big challenge for me is people say, well, I breathe anyway. Yes. What do you mean i mean breathing? It's like, yeah. that's fine. But let me just explain, if you would like me to, how you can breathe correctly or better. Yes. You know, yeah. why should it be because we've, we have a major issue in our health that we suddenly take note? Yeah. Uh, it's a It's a hard step change to work through with some people. But the opportunity to talk about it like this today is just it gets it to a wider audience. I'm so thankful. Yeah.
0: Oh, no, you're more than welcome. I mean, it, it just, in what I do, I stand up sometimes and say to people, okay, stand up. We need to breathe. And they look at me like I'm mad, you know, and, and you say, well, this is, it's, this is like a workout for your inside. This is a workout for your speaking muscles, you know, your breathing muscles. Um, and yeah, the, the wider, we can spread that message that, you know, we need to, we need to breathe properly in order to do so, so many things. But thank you so much for your time today. Um, I just want to, I've got one picture that I'm going to show, which is you underwater, Tracy, and this was to promote uh, a well-being festival that you were part of this month. What else have you got coming up that you can share with us?
1: The other thing that I'm doing, obviously, is my monthly courses. They run for four weeks. I'm taking on September and October bookings currently. I run them every month, small groups of up to eight. And I also work one-to-one with people. And I'm working with corporates in terms of wellness programs, developing that within larger organizations. So very happy to chat to anybody who'd like to know more about this. Fabulous.
0: I've put your uh, LinkedIn Link there on the screen, uh, which I will put in any blurb that I put out with this podcast. Is that the best place for people to
1: find you? LinkedIn and Instagram are my chosen social media channels. So if people are on those channels, they can DM me. But I'll also share with you my one to one booking link where they can literally book a Zoom or a phone call with me immediately. Um, this is all happening while the website's being built. So I don't have a site as yet but I'll send you the the one-to-one booking link as well fabulous oh brilliant oh it's just so fascinating I
0: could just talk for hours and, I mean it's just and it's something that we don't talk about enough our breathing I, as you can probably tell I'm, I'm a bit of an advocate as well but yeah thank you so much for your time today Tracy and I will certainly be using some of those exercises and I'm looking forward to uh maybe taping my mouth <laughs> And certainly, I will be talking to my daughter about uh, holding her breath to clear her nose. So, yeah, lots of really interesting stuff there. So, enjoy your weekend and the rest of your week. Uh, thank you very much, Tracy Howes.
1: Thank you so much, Jackie. Been a pleasure.
0: Thank you to Tracy for a fascinating insight into breath work and the world of freediving. I will certainly be more conscious of how I breathe and I will remember my mouth should only be used for eating and speaking. Another great takeaway from our conversation for me is to listen to your customer. You may think they want one thing when actually they're looking for something completely different. And on networking, learn to love it more. And if you can't find a network you love, create your own. What were your takeaways from our conversation? Connect with me on LinkedIn or contact me through the website powertospeak.co.uk and let me know. And remember, if you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five-star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk.
1: Bye for now.